that's the other problem I have with, with these distractions. I heard some pundit on Fox News say that they have ballistic blankets that they can put on the windows of schools to protect their kids. I mean, this guy went, you know, you, you know talk about things that wouldn't stop, wouldn't stop what happened. You know, this guy went into the classroom and shot those kids. A ballistic blanket would have just blinded everybody who was trying to get in. Well, what was the you other know, comment that, that, that you should only have one door in and out of a school? Yeah, yeah, that's a fire hazard. But what would the Texas senator know about that? Because he stays in the Bahamas more than he stays in, in Texas. It's just infuriating. You know, who's going to pay for ballistic blankets on a window? They, we barely pay for school supplies. And our former president wants an armed guard in every school. I don't want my kids in an armed prison when they're going to school. I want my school safe, but it needs to be safe from outside. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. cool that you were out there and a neighbor wanted to talk about your pool and then it moved into a little bit more of a kind of quote-unquote courageous conversation it did it, it really did i think the reason it took so long i mean uh, by the way i still have to clean my pool <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting that he did not want to talk about guns at first mm. or the gun issue i had no idea what position he took but i didn't bring it up either I mean, he just wanted to talk about the grief and that he felt and the uh, horror that he felt, you know, all the, all the safe issues. And after maybe 20, 30 minutes, when he felt safe, I think as he began to feel safe, he then just mentioned that, and now we've got to go through another, our routine phase of liberals trying to take our guns away again. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've spoken since Buffalo either. No, we haven't. The last time we met, we were talking about how we had, what we we're going to talk about at the SCVMA event. Right. And, um, you know, we were saying we still got to choose a topic. It's amazing how society picks topics for us. Yes, it, it does. You know, the discussion of, of guns, gun control, and the issues related to that, it's just... I'm so tired of reading about death and avoidable death. Let me put it that way. Preventable death. Guns are a part of it. People are a part of it. Put them together and it's a huge part of it. I'm not a gun owner, never been a gun owner. Never, I've never shot a handgun. And the only time I ever shot a rifle or a shotgun was at summer camp at a target. So I'm not... I'm not well-versed in the gun world. It just scares me more than anything else. Well, so I am a gun owner. I have used guns in and of themselves do not scare me. I have, I'm a hunter or I have been a hunter. I haven't hunted since I moved to California. I'm a fisherman too, but I'm not a subsistence farmer or a fisherman or a hunter. I do eat 
when I kill, but I'm trying to figure out what that has to do with anything. Why is that part of the discussion? Why are a lot of issues clouding the discussion? Part of the discussion I had was I'm tired of the routine responses as well. I'm tired of this time to change. It's time for new gun laws, even though I believe it is. I'm tired of the response of protecting my rights to bear a gun when there is no analysis of why do we want an AR-15? What is behind protecting a right of owning that type of a gun? That is clearly a gun of war. And the only reason that we want to choose it is because of the supposed zealous commitment to the described error, error, era, E-R-A, of colonialism, early colonialism, that reminds us that if we hadn't had guns, we wouldn't have been able to fight the British. And we extend that. And the only thing you can come out with when you use that as the premise for your right to bear arms is that you want a gun to either overthrow the government or be able to violently change the government. Either way, that's a scary proposition, questionable position to hold. It says you have no faith in the government or you are truly a zealot if if you believe in the government as it is and the government actually privileges you as you are and you still must have a threat for the government. You protect that right so avidly that you're even willing to allow insane people to have the right to own an AR-15. And then you want to say that no law is perfect. You know, there's a law against against speeding too, and we speed all the time, but we still have a speeding law. You know, when the Constitution was written, the weapons that we had, you could shoot one, like one bullet a minute because the load and reload capacity. It took a long time before we had handguns that had the capacity for six rounds. And it took a while before we had what I guess would be called machine guns and the ability to shoot multiple rounds in a very short period of time. We still did a lot of damage. I, I remember the like 60s, 70s, maybe early 80s, when it was the Saturday night specials that were the major gun used for damage. And I concur on the assault weapons. I mean, you don't go, do you go hunting with an AR-15? I mean, do you go hunting for, for game with an AR-15? No. So, and again, I'm, I'm dancing around the political side of this, but uh, I don't believe that the authors of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights had any concept that we would have weapons that could shoot the number of rounds per minute that they currently do in the hands of citizens and not just the hands of the militia or the military. Yeah, well, I don't know why we're dancing around the political side of this. We're not going to make any changes unless we make um, unless we do it through politics. The political side I was was addressing was the overthrow of the government by having assault weapons. No, I know the change it will require it will require a governmental regulation or legislative change to make those changes. It just 
the thought that we are stockpiling assault weapons to overthrow the government, you know, that that's the next civil war that we're looking yes, at. Yes, it is. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that we're stockpiling it. I am suggesting that it is a motivation that is brought up all the time. Though they don't mention motivation, they just mention the right to bear arms. And they always go back to the colonial days to say why that's so important to them. Ignoring the the fact of the advancement of technology. And that's what this is. It's an advancement in technology. It just happens to be an advancement in the technology of murder, uh, of killing. You know, when people go to firing ranges, et cetera, all they're doing is honing their technique. But even the Olympics is based on techniques of war. Marathon runners, at the time that the Olympics were started, the reason you have marathons, a contest, is because they used they used marathon runners to send messages to scattered armies so that they could coordinate their efforts. 100-yard dashes. We needed people who could who could run to the next forest or to the next pasture in order to coordinate maneuvers on the battlefield. Discus throwers is, is, is nothing but a derivative of being able to throw oil-laden bombs. Look at the recreation of, of, you know, the Civil War recreations and even the Revolutionary War recreations. The playing field was a lot leveler in, in terms of there was a lot more man-to-man contact because once you shot your rifle, somebody was going to be right on top of you. I, I think that this, the, the assault weapons just basically take the playing field and it's no longer a level playing field. Yeah, but again, it, it, it's a weapon of war. Yes. It's only a weapon. As you said, we don't use it for anything else. Right. Right. So why do we need it in our society? Why can't we stockpile it and use it when we need it, as opposed to having one in every garage or in every closet? But again, that's not the issue. You know, uh, the other the other counter issue is, I mean, I am amazed at the cycles we go through and nothing happens. Actually, the liberals are only asking for appropriate, reasonable measures that assure that at least attempt to measure the probability that you know how to use a gun and you have the appropriate mentality to use it appropriately. I mean, we can't even get a measure passed that says you must go through training or that we you know, we should know who you are. We will even let the insane have a gun. We won't let the insane drive a car. Theoretically. Uh, <laughs> now, I mean, uh, but now once, you know, one, once again, uh, earlier you made the comments that laws are designed to protect or something. And there, there is no foolproof law, you know? And, and so the laws in and of themselves will not stop mass shootings. Laws in and of themselves won't stop mass stabbings either. Or, people or suicide bombers. But if you don't have a law that impedes the acquisition of such a weapon, then you are fertilizing the ground with potential criminals. There are multiple variables in the conversation. I think the mental health component of it is a variable. I think the relative ease of access and lack of barriers and this may be a stretch, but they want to put barriers on the ability to 
uh, take care of your bodies as a pregnant woman from a, an abortion standpoint, but they don't want to put barriers up to prevent access to assault weapons and bullets that go through cement block and metal and everything else. I mean, all of these laws have become, and maybe they were in the beginning, but they've become so politicized. That, they've always uh, been, yeah, they've always been politicized, but it's not the political, the political, the politicalization of laws is natural. It's the arguments themselves that are, it bothers me when I watch a person who know, who doesn't think about mental health issues at all until we come to gun laws. And all of a sudden they say, no, we don't need to take the guns. We need to do more about mental health. And yet they voted against Obamacare. We need to do something about mental health. And yet they never promote anything about mental health. It's just a idiom that they use. And they have no idea what they want to do in, in a mental health arena that will have any impact. I don't understand why we can't pass a law that says you should register for an AR-15. We should know where they are because they say, well, this won't stop anything. They can still use it. But they say, well, no, we don't want to do that. We should do something in mental health. I don't know what. Let's just do something. But foundationally, mental health impacts so many of the challenges that we're dealing with, guns being I, one. I'm not arguing against no, I mental know. health. No, I'm, I'm saying that this this is a ploy. The use of the mental health issue is a... It's a distraction from what the real issue is. Exactly. If we look at mental health globally, it impacts homelessness. It impacts the prison system. It impacts guns. It impacts drugs. And in many cases, it has been impacted by things like the military from, from a PTSD standpoint and others other uh, mental health issues that come up. But it seems to be a topic that's ver forbidden to be addressed. I think a large portion of the homeless population are dealing with mental health issues that prevent them from income, prevent them from work, prevent them from living in, in a normal fashion. And, and we just seem to avoid discussing those issues. And again, gun control being guns being another component of it. Many of the people who, who we're dealing with in prisons are not bad criminals. They have mental health issues. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong in any of that. So I just watched you spend three minutes walking away from the gun issue. No, I'm walking. I, I, I'm, no, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not saying that and I know when I said that, it sounds as if I don't care about mental health when I actually do. And, not, and, and nothing you said was wrong. It's just that you took the bait, in my opinion. We, we are obfuscating the issue itself that we started talking about. It's like me going to the doctor for and discovering I'm a diabetic. And then the doctor says, oh, and by the way, you also have high blood pressure. And then spends 15 minutes talking about my high blood pressure when I'm suffering from diabetes right now. Where I was going with the discussion on mental health is that we need to consider globally mental health, but we also need to consider guns as well. I mean, I think that there are some synergies, not maybe synergies isn't the correct term, but there are some discussions that need to be dealt with. We need to control the access to arms but we also need to control who has access to those arms. Yes, I totally agree. I, I am frustrated 
at the ability to confound an already confounding issue. And, and especially when I know it's disingenuous to hear the two of us talk about the, the importance of mental health as part of a discussion on the status of guns in this country is frustrating. That's all, that's all I can say, because I know, you know, to hear our former president tell the NRA that the answer is to focus on mental health is as duplicitous as the devil dressing up and preaching to us that God is good. Well, yeah, it's a crazy person talking about crazy people. No, I, I really, because I wanted to, I wanted to potentially go on a sidebar to mental health later on, but there's no question that that change is necessary. And the comments that have been made by federal senators from Texas and by state senators and by governors within the state truly indicate a lack of understanding of the the more global issues and a continuous effort to defend a political position. I think I'm frustrated with myself for not being able to address or even identify the issues at hand because of the confusion that has been created around this issue. I think I'm frustrated that I believe mental health is an important issue as well. I don't believe that that should be part of this discussion. It's a tangent. First of all, I don't believe that everybody that that stimulates this discussion is mentally ill. Some people, unless you call hatred mental illness, I don't believe that every person that walked into a church and killed everybody in the church or walked into a grocery store or even walked into a, a school is automatically mentally ill. I believe some of them have been indoctrinated, cultivated, or just have a serious biases and their hatred is, is overwhelming. But nobody assumes that former slave owners that mistreated their slaves and treated their slaves as dogs were mentally ill. We called them racist and segregationist, but we didn't call them ill. And all of a sudden now, you know, mental illness is the rational response excuse me, mental health or mental uh, manipulation is the rational response to this issue because, and, and, and we glom on it because we know that we haven't paid enough attention to mental health and mental illness. And so I am definitely a mental health advocate, but it is a distraction that is promulgated by people who just simply want to protect their right to have a gun. Some of these people are mentally ill. Just, just as some accidents on the highway are caused by uh, speeding. Some accidents are caused by a mental impairment due to alcohol or drugs. Some accidents are caused because of weather and slick roads or poor roads. And for us to suddenly pick up this one thing and, 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 and have to have a discussion about it just takes time away from discussing why can't we register gun ownership. Uh, I mean, let's get back to the gun issue, which is registration. I mean, you know, you shouldn't be able to go in and five minutes later walk out with a gun in the same way that you can't drive a car without a license and, and registration and other things. I mean, we've got to start to tighten up this very lax approach to 
the ownership of, of uh, <clears throat> weapons of mass destruction, which in this case are assault weapons. And it, it includes registration, it includes background checks, it includes some sort of period of, of cooling off period. I mean, what did this kid in, in Texas on his 18th birthday, the next day or the same day, went out and bought weapons? Yeah. And, and then the and day after that, bought ammunition. And right. according to Texas law, that should have been a trigger. That should have been a red flag. There was a law that says that if you buy a new weapon, you, should, you cannot buy ammunition for that new weapon for at least a week. They call them trigger laws. And Texas has that on the books. But you have to enforce the law or you have to have the means to enforce it. They passed that law just to make people feel good, to say, look, you know, anybody who's intent on, on a crime of passion will have to wait a week. And by that time, they probably won't be, so they'll probably think about it and they won't do what they were intending to do, you know? So, so we get that law in the books, but we didn't put the bu bureaucratic means together so that somebody would check. So should the business that sold the gun and or the ammunition then have some level of responsibility as well? Well, yeah, but you still have to have a bureaucratic means. If I buy a gun, uh, I, I can't buy an AR-15 from Walmart, but I might be able to buy the ammunition for an AR-15 from Walmart. So if I buy a gun from a gun shop and then go to Walmart to get an AR-15 or some other place, how are you going to hold the businesses accountable? In the state of California, we have the Cures Reporting for Controlled Drugs, where we as veterinarians are supposed to be keeping track of controlled substances that we dispense to pet owners through this cure system to ensure that we're not having pet owners shop controlled substances. That's my point. There has to be a system in place. Right. But and the, and the politicians knew that when they passed the law. There was no language that said, and in order to make sure that this works, we need to set up this system. And here's the money for that. That's the other problem I have with, with these distractions. I heard some pundit on Fox News say that they have ballistic blankets that they can put on the windows of schools to protect their kids. I mean, this guy went, you know, you, you know, talk about things that wouldn't stop, wouldn't stop what happened. You know, this guy went into the classroom and shot those kids. A ballistic blanket would have just blinded everybody who was trying to get in. Well, what was you the know, other comment that, that, that you should only have one door in and out of a school? Yeah, yeah, that's a fire hazard. But what would the Texas senator know about that? Because he stays in the Bahamas more than he stays in in Texas. It's just infuriating. You know, who's going to pay for ballistic blankets on a window? They, we barely pay for school supplies. And our former president wants an armed guard in every school. I don't want my kids in an armed prison when they're going to school. I want my school safe, but it needs to be safe from outside. You know, I can't protect, I can't protect every school from a drunk driver that might get off the road and run into the school. But that doesn't happen as much as people going into a school. You know, locking a door, by the way, if I have an AR-15 and want to get in, I'm getting in. You can lock the door all you want. I'm shooting the locks off, which raises the question, why were those cops, 17 police, sitting around talking about should they go in or not for an hour? And waiting for the key? And, well, 
that was as stupid as waiting at all. Okay. Yeah, but I but but you know the comments that where we you know we were told from uh, headquarters we couldn't go in that we had to wait for SWAT or wait for resources and there's been the suggestion that we arm the teachers. Yeah. Well, if the cops won't go in because this guy has an AR-15, how is a teacher going to defend the classroom? I mean, wh- when did we start to see these assault weapons being used? for non-military. We saw them being used as from the moment they were developed. Right, but have we seen, I mean, I'm just trying to think of from a time frame standpoint, when, when did we start to see the greater utilization of assault weapons? The school killing 23 years ago, uh, Columbine, those are all within the last quarter of a century. The weapons of war have always been used domestically. Right inappropriately right it's just the advances in the weapons of war that you suddenly you know i mean back in the 1800s when we were dominating when we were taking over the west a fatal domestic violence occurred with the same rifles that we that the cavalry carried that was just happened to be the advance and that, and so it, the advancement of weaponry, that is why there's a component of the majority of Americans recognize it's the number of guns that we have that's the problem, that we should that, be addressing. That, that's where I was trying to bring this back to is, you know, we, we're at a point in time where the vast majority of the American population, I think, is ready for some change. But the people who have the power to make those changes won't what is it then that's because of the financial structure of politics follow the money and so if if you're supported by the nra or if you're graded by the nra and that grade affects your support from others then you won't vote for change look it's not the nra it's the industry itself if I can't make enough money selling AR-15s to governments, if I need the if I need consumer the consumer market, or if I desire it so vociferously, part of this is anti-regulation. Part of this is anti-social responsibility. As far as I'm concerned, we dehumanize the gun. The gun is just an object. It's the people that are bad. Well, a knife is an object too. If they didn't have access to an AR-15, if they only had access to a to a double barrel shotgun, I, I hate to be this crass, but fewer children would have died before they got to this guy. Well, that's that's some of my point with the use of handguns and rifles, and, and the it limits the damage. It limits the potential for damage. Right. Well, that's what we need to get back to is limit the potential for damage unless we're starting to think that the cold war is going to happen and we're going to have russians attacking us you know it gets, goes back to your the discussion of is there an internal civil war developing within the united states and and the uh, assault weapons are a defense mechanism for our own civil war yeah although there is a component of our population that's preparing for that 
that wasn't what I was promoting here. What I was saying was, was that there are other ways of providing arms to to civilians when ne- when necessary. We can create a system. Of, I am. I was very impressed at how Ukraine got got grandmothers to learn how to shoot and to be prepared to defend their cities. They're just running out of ammo and guns right now. As a matter of fact, we could easily supply them with plenty of guns and ammunition just from our, the government doesn't have to do it. All, all we got to do is drive through cities and and tell everybody to donate guns. There's a tax benefit. Yeah. Well, I think we both agree that there needs to be a more aggressive approach to gun control and access to, to assault weapons. And it needs to happen now. And it needs to be non-political. And it needs... <laughs> saying that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let me just say it for the sake of saying it. Because it's the right thing to do. But it, it is ironic that, this conver- that our conversation started as a result of your across the hedge conversation with your neighbors, which was the premise essentially of my call to you almost two years ago regarding the George Floyd murder, which is now almost two years to the day from having occurred. And concurrently, we're still dealing with uh, attacks on minorities and attacks on blacks. And it goes back to this ongoing conversation we've been having for the last two years. So I think this discussion on assault weapons, it it was just another example of a courageous conversation that we really need to have, and not just you and I, but a more global level, Um, without the support of nationwide uh, going forward. Phil and I probably wouldn't talk as often or as long and long-winded. So on behalf of uh, Dr. Nelson and myself, thank you to Nationwide, and thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.